0: Good afternoon, it's Graeme Cope with another My Music. Today I'm going to be speaking to Roan. But first, before that, we need to go and find that man with his laptop. Oh. <laughs> I need to get going, Matt. I'll see you later. Good afternoon. Thanks, Ronan, for joining me. I almost feel like I need to start quizzing people on the video to see whether they paid any attention at all. Did you notice what was outside the window when he was in the the workspace? I didn't. I was focusing yeah. on the laptop. <laughs> you were <laughs> you're fixated on the laptop. There was the Shard. Oh, uh, okay. OK. The Shard in the middle of London. Yeah, that was uh, that was obviously shot in the centre of London. Where are you coming from today? I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, this morning. This is where I'm based. Ah, oh, right. And and where is that for people that don't know?
1: So that's in Brooklyn. It's right across the uh, East River from Manhattan. So it's kind oh. of, I guess, towards the bottom end of Manhattan. If you look out our window, we can kind of see the Empire State Building and Midtown across the river.
0: Uh, do you have a favourite song about Manhattan? Um
1: what comes to mind is probably Billy Joel's New York song. I am a huge Billy Joel fan when I was a kid, I still respect his songwriting. So that's probably the
0: first one that comes to mind. Yeah. That's one. Um, I really love Hey Manhattan by Prefab Sprout. Do you remember them?
1: I remember them, but it was more my oldest brother was into them. I I actually listened to a lot of 80s music because I grew up listening to what my older brothers listened to a lot of. And my oldest brother was a big new wave fan. So, I inherited a lot of that music. But Prefab Sprout, for some reason, never kind of trickled down. I don't know why. That,
0: that never hit your consciousness. Well, no. So let's talk about those early days of listening. What what was it that you were listening to early on in your life? So I listened to whatever my family was listening to. My my parents would listen to a bit of Johnny
1: Cash, uh, a bit of ABBA, um, Chris Christofferson. So some of these really good songwriters, ballad singers, um, Elvis Presley, uh, and then... As I got a little older, uh, my brothers would listen to. I have three older brothers. So, you know, one of them would listen to New Wave, you listen to David Bowie. um, The other brother would listen to Def Leppard, Mott the Hoople. um, So it was a good kind of mix there. Yeah. Um, The Cure, New Order, Joy Division. uh, And then I have a brother who's just a year and a half older than me. And as we got into school and college, he was listening to Guns N' Roses and a little bit of Nirvana. And at that point, I began to kind of get my own taste in music. I did go through a phase of live, living uh, brass and Michael Jackson. Um, and then I kind of evolved, yes. evolved, evolved out of that uh, into, into blues music. I started listening to John Lee Hooker and B.B. King, really? Lee Waters. And then when I got to college, I was introduced to the, the kind of the, the wave of uh, blues bands in the 60s in England. You know, Rolling Stones, the, the Beatles, Cream, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix. And then in college, people started dumping grunge and indie on me, which didn't really make sense because it's very, it was very against the rules. But once I kind of got used to it, that became a huge influence. So I've kind of merged all those together as I've gone through life, and that's been a weird melting
0: pot. Yeah, no, well, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, it's it's interesting you mentioned John Lee Hooker because a lot of people actually that have come through on this program have said John Lee Hooker. But John John Lee Hooker had a little bit of a revival around that time he, he had an album out that was really popular it kind of sort of resurfaced him again um same with jj cale at the time they both they both kind of had albums out that really kind of you know got a lot of good critical acclaim and you know that kind of put them back on the map was it was it his latest music that you were finding or was it Well, I think it was, he was getting popular again, and he was, I think
1: they had him on some ads, there was a song, Boom Boom, that was- Boom Boom, yeah. And then there was a magazine at the time, this is back when you bought magazines with a CD, you know, taped to the front of it, and it was, you know, History of the Blues, and he was, I think, episode one, so I had this CD of 12 John Lee Hooker songs, and it was from the early, all the way through the latest, and I was just fascinated by the recording style, because the early recordings, it was just him in a room, and he had taped, Coca-Cola bottle tops to his shoe to his shoes so he could do this tapping. So you hit this weird clicking rhythm going on and he was using a lot of echo. And so I just loved that style. And then as I went through that magazine, I I was introduced to Muddy Waters and uh, Bo Diddley. And then from there, I just started like researching who else should I listen to? And it's kind of went into every other blues artist I could get my hands on at
0: that point. which helps kind of a reaction in a way I I, I partly think it was for me was that a lot of music was becoming had just kind of come out of having grown up in the 70s etc where where music was still a lot a lot of it recorded on analog etc and then into the 80s where music was just becoming really digital and really clean and really you know really orchestrated if you like to to that extent where, you know, suddenly you hear something like that and you think that's really authentic. You know, there's something, the technology, the technology yeah. is bottle caps, you know, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. Or even like Robert Johnson,
1: just the the recording quality is terrible, but there's something about the sheer energy and emotion and the power of the songs. So for me, that just the songwriting, even a bad recording, if the song is good, um, and even if you take that song and rearrange it and do it in a different key or change the, the way it's played, like the song still comes through. So, yeah, I think solid production and recording quality, you know, I love that, too. But there's something about the rawness of the song. It'll always come through. So I love that about the early blues recordings, for
0: sure. Did you then gravitate into, I did, but did you then gravitate into a lot of the independent music, the, the independent artists that were then producing alternative stuff throughout sort of like the, you know, the late eighties nineties, because it was trying in a way to be authentic, but still having the modern sounds in there. Well, I think in the nineties, for sure, I was at college at that point And
1: this whole indie phase is going on. So a lot of these bands were DIY. And that was exciting for me at the time because they were doing this without a record label. And I started going back and it's into eighties music that was doing that. So. It, it was bands like Buffalo Tom or Dinosaur Jr. or Bob Mould, huge, huge influence on me. And when I kind of went through Bob Mold's catalog, you know, you, you see he's in Husker Du in the 80s and all this DIY sending cassette tapes around and all the other speed punk that was around at the time. So that was definitely hugely influential. And I think the first album I recorded, I kind of wanted to get in the studio and just live record all three of us at once, just, um, just playing as a three-piece with no overdubs. Because I felt that you had to be that authentic, like Bob Dylan did it, so we should do it. Um, and the results are okay. But since then, I have learned to appreciate layering and and being able to do overdubs and be able to really structure the song that you want. So there's there's something to be said for both approaches. I think the challenge with recording when you're doing um to a to a click and you want everything to be able to sit in and do multiple layers, and you get very creative and excited about what you can add in. Is when you go perform it well how do you perform it because you got to strip it back to a smaller arrangement so that's always the, the difficult part okay this sounds great on a record but unless i get another guitarist and a keyboard player then how do we do this live and make it sound the same way the recording sounds
0: bob mold for me is a really interesting artist i, I, I love bob mold but primarily because he did a couple of things what with husker do you have these kind of landscape type pieces of music they, they evolve off into different areas, etc. But then he wasn't scared to come back with you know, with things like Sugar, where there, were, there was pop music in there. You know, I think that was really important that he he kind of transcended both worlds, really. And for me, that was really important. It just felt like, oh, it's okay to do both. Yeah, <laughs> okay. some, of his, some of his songs, I mean, in a way, they're like the cure, like some of both of those, uh,
1: both. Bob Mould and The Cure, some of their stuff is very poppy, very melodic, very major key, very hooky, um, and then some of it's very dark, and I like that. Um, when I do listen to Bob Mould, I tend to gravitate towards the darker stuff, to be honest, but there are some of the poppier things I like. But um, even his solo stuff, I mean, he's still going solo, and I've seen him so many times, and he always brings in the whole catalogue, and it's just it's great to see how he's influenced all those indie bands in the 90s and how he's still respected. Uh, mm-hmm. And his playing style, too, he often uses these kind of open chords where you've got the power chord but the top strings are ringing and that kind of I inherited that or kind of took that into my style as well I really like that style and the single I just released double helix that has that kind of open strings ringing so maybe I overuse it a bit but he's definitely a huge influence on my on my playing style and on yeah just the rawness of the emotion that you're allowed to put into a song absolutely were, were there any other guitarists that you were influenced by? Well, Robert Smith from The Cure, I mean, I've studied his guitar style to try to understand, and um, it's very scale-based, but it's very minor key and very linear, so there's kind of long melodic lines that get repeated or adjusted. So there's a certain style that I, kind of playing along to his records, I feel like that definitely shows up on this record that I'm bringing out. Jimi Hendrix, big influence, obviously, because when you learn to play guitar, you just want to play on to those records <laughs> and try to get, yeah. you know, get all that. But I never really studied the classic rock stuff enough. I've just spent a couple of years trying to kind of go back and study some of that. It's very hard to play like AC/DC solos. That stuff is yeah. very difficult to do. So I kind of missed you never,
0: out. You I, never went into a music shop and, and played Smoke on the Water? You never did it? I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the thing that everyone does isn't it well
1: I would would probably be playing like a little bit of Blues or one of my own songs or something um I never did the smoke on the water maybe sweet child of mine is probably something I tried to play in the music store but I'd seen I'd seen the uh um what what is it the uh I forget the name of the song where, where they say no stairway allowed in in the shop
0: yeah well, no absolutely Wayne's I think,
1: world that's the one Yeah, it's
0: one Wayne's there. world i yeah, really yeah. i used to enjoy um i was in a band for a while with with a guitarist who could actually play really good jazz guitar and i really enjoyed it because you'd go into these sh- these shops and they'd expect you to to pick up a guitar and do whiddly-widdly yeah yeah <laughs> or, or, or or that and and they you know the person in the the shop would go which guitar are you interested in and they bring it down and they they put it on first. Why do they do that? Why do they do that in shops? I don't understand.
1: It depends but, on the shop, I think. Yeah, they want to tune it and make sure Well, it's ready they want for to tune, they want to
0: show off as well. They want to show <laughs> off what they can do. Right. So, you know, and there would be all of this going on. And and my friend Chris would just put it on and he'd go, and he'd play some amazing jazz guitar. And he'd go, Would you like to try that? you could just see the look on their face as they were disappointed by the fact that they 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 knew they couldn't
1: jazz is is difficult i actually just finished two years at music school very late to kind of go and do that but i wanted to upgrade and a lot of it was jazz and trying to learn how to play that it's it's very it's a different world entirely after two years of studying it i can just about like get through the tunes and do okay but i don't think i'd be at the point where i'd try to get a paid gig doing it it's going to take years to really master it but it is a whole other world. I think what it did do was it helped.
0: I was going to just ask that. What did it do?
1: Well, I mean, look, do to, to you know, actually, I, I was home just for a week in Ireland there. My brother runs a guitar school in Galway and he's been playing jazz for a while. So we could sit down and, and play jazz together for a couple of hours straight. So that was cool. I mean, is it the best jazz you'll ever hear? Is it what you want to pay money? At the corner j- uh, jazz bar, maybe not, but the fact that we can sit and play for two hours and, and you know, so that shows the level of, of, um, education that I I kind of put into it. But we also covered a bunch of other genres like um, funk and uh, some classic rock tunes and um, and learned to play drums a little bit, which is cool. I think one of the things I really took out of it was understanding some of the options for songwriting and um, my songwriting began to change a little bit. Different chords would come in and, you know, transitional chords and how to think about the tension and release more. Um, and just the fluidity of the guitar playing so it definitely is going to show up but i would imagine it'll take years for it to kind of you know percolate out there into
0: into what i'm doing yeah but that's what i love you see about sort of evolving yourself as as a musician is that you know it can be anything kind of it can be just learning to play something in a different style or lear- learning a different you know type of music etc it can it can just even be buying a new guitar
1: yeah, anything yeah.
0: can help you evolve into the next thing so you know good good on you for for spending that time because we you know that's that's dedication to the cause not everybody does that (laughs) some people some some people make the same record all their life status quo but it doesn't matter
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're very successful doing it
0: though so (laughs) So some people are really successful doing it but you know it you know if you want to actually if you want your output to develop over time and allow you to, to do things that are in your head, but you don't necessarily physically need to you know how to do at that point. Yeah. You have to, you have to carry on, don't you? You have to carry on sort of learning and developing. Yeah. So tell, tell me about this latest project. How, how did this come about? So, well, I, I talked a
1: little bit about the cure and those influences from the eighties that I'm still kind of very much into. Um, a lot of what I've written and released over the years has been a sort of a mix of the more indie Americana songwriting kind of set a little bit of Gothic rock maybe, but a lot more indie rock almost. And, um, I haven't really gone as far in the gothy direction, but, uh, I was playing in a band called Oh Halo and, um, Julie was the lead singer of the band. This is many years ago. And, she had Marcy on keys, so that two female vocals. And I, I used to see this band live, and I went to see them so often, I eventually joined the band because what excited me about them was they reminded me of bands like Love Spirals Downwards and Autumn's Great Solace. These are bands with lots of guitar effects layers and then the ethereal female vocals over it. So I kind of wanted to replicate that and capture that. And I probably pushed Ohay a bit too much to kind of go in that direction. Um, so eventually I realized I probably had to do it kind of on my own. So I, I, came up with the idea of writing some of these more dark, gothy songs and seeing if I could get different guest vocalists to appear on the record, which proved to be difficult. Uh, a couple of things I learned. One, if you write male vocals, female vocals is, isn't just that an octave up. Like there's a, It's actually not that straightforward. It's somewhere <laughs> in the middle. Like, it sounds obvious now, but I thought, well, just sing an octave up. So I'll sing it and then you'll come in. Didn't work. So some, some female vocals will come in and try to sing and they would have to come up with a different melody in between. Also finding <clears throat> um, vocalists who were into that type of music and could really feel the emotion of the song. So it was difficult to find singers to do them. What I would do is I would do a scratch vocal um, and we would have that vocal take and I would think, okay, here's something to show them they can work on. But as we went through the project, we found people who could sing some of the songs and other ones we didn't really find anybody. But We grew to like the vocals I had done. So the project kind of evolved. Um, so it's really drawing on those Autumn's Grey Solids, Chelsea Wolf, The Cure, all that goth stuff um, lots of guitar uh, layers of guitar synth and half the songs of females half of me and you know putting it out there and thinking it's kind of a little bit different to the other music this was one of the reasons that it's, it's coming out much later than some of these songs were recorded because every time i was ready to release it i would think well, is it it's a different brand? Should it have a different band name? Is it the same project? Will it be confusing? Mm-hmm. So I would kind of agonize over this and then I would end up releasing a different body of work that I was already working on in parallel. And this went on for years. And I have to just say, Let me, just got to get it out there. The other thing we talked about earlier in the conversation was, well, if I release it, but how do I perform it? I need a second guitarist. I need to bring all these different vocalists back. So I just spent too long agonizing over that. And eventually about two years ago, I said, gonna get it out and we're gonna release it on vinyl and then the pandemic and all the record stores are closed so there was no vinyl so it took another couple of years but it is finally coming out and the reaction to the first single has been great i get a lot of great and positive comments about it so i'm i'm glad it's finally happening um i'm still nervous about okay well every song's a little bit different people like this one will they like the next one um, but it, it has to—it has to kind of get out there, so I can sort of move on a little bit in my head. I still have other songs that are half recorded for the project, so there's probably be a second album in the works, maybe next year. Um, the the thematically, what's different about this album? I don't know if this is intentional. This is just how it kind of came out. A lot of the songwriting that I do is is situational. It's about you know this relationship or this person or this thing that happened. Whereas these songs seem much more. Extracting a life experience, a formula, something that's um, universal across all those experiences, the the concept of relationship, the concept Mm -hmm. of of human connection. So it's it's more kind of abstract in some ways. It's also some of them are like darkest fears. There's one song on the record, which might be the third single, which reminds me of um, a song by The Cure called Fear of Ghosts and it's Mm -hmm. a a b-side and in that song there's like these whispering voices that are kind of almost terrifying in their intensity so i like that idea and i I kind of you know influenced by that this song born in conflict has this um uh, melodic vocal track and then the middle section of it before the last verse is just these whispering voices echoing and overlapping which are kind of almost like darkest fears that you probably wouldn't say aloud about you know where you fit in things, so it, it's it's a vulnerable record to put out there, um, and I think that's part of ultimately probably why it's taking us so long to get it out. All the other stuff is excuses, you know. Oh, it's a different band. name. Oh yeah, so common. really, you,
0: it, it's you struggling with yourself as the weapon to put it out. Yeah, I feel yeah. I feel like it. I feel that rings true when I say it out loud. So
1: maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah,
0: but the, the other things, the other things actually happen. Yeah, you know, you actually, <laughs> but. But you can. You wonder whether you could have pushed past some of those things, is what you're saying. If yeah. if, if you didn't, it's about you feeling comfortable with it, and yeah. perhaps taking this long to feel comfortable about it. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. He he loves the record, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned because that's an interesting thought. I've never really thought about it like that about the the sort of male um f- thinking about you know these parts from a female perspective etc but i guess you know m- most of us as as male singers our range is generally sort of down there and then up there you know it's sort of <laughs> it, yeah. it misses it misses a bit um you know and we go we can be quite good at the uh you know the falsetto etc and then and then we sing in the sort of tenor or baritone range down down here but um we're not necessarily thinking about about the this kind of middle area where where most women sing etc is is that really what you were saying there it was kind of like you you're kind of the 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 head is kind of like well i'm just going to get them to sing there <laughs> in a way i just thought
1: yeah i'll write these songs um and then it'll be easy to have somebody sing them in, in an upper range and yeah. as it turned out they were straining their voice to hit those upper notes so Um, there's one song on the album where the vocalist, you know, uh, my friend Shannon Brown, who appears in Two songs, she wasn't truly happy with replicating what I was doing. She didn't think it sounded great. We thought it sounded awesome, but she was more comfortable doing a a middle harmony line. So we had to record that too. And the two of them together sound fantastic, but it was an education for me that when I'm writing the next series of songs, I should be more less attached to this is the melody and more, um looking for harmony lines and and options in a way that's kind of what double helix was you know i had a sheet of lyrics a couple of verses and i had the verse and i wasn't sure about the bridge and julie took those lyrics and she kind of i had like a one melodic line and she made that that line her her own and adjusted a little bit to make comfortable for her and left out certain words that didn't flow so she kind of took the raw materials and then got it to a point that it sounded much better through her own kind of in the in the vocal booth um, invention. So I should have realized, that was the first song we recorded. I should have realized at that point that there was gonna be a lot more collaboration on the vocal lines. Um, so Susan Huang was one of the other vocalists and Charlie told me, listen, when she records, I've worked with her a lot, you know, Charlie Neal's my producer, I know you've, you've um, talked to him before. Um, he said, I've worked with Susan a lot when she's gonna record it's probably better just me and her we'll work on it because i know she's going to want to be able to focus and i kind of wanted to be there to control everything so i was like okay i'll just leave it be and again she interpreted and changed a little bit but the results are fantastic the way she took that those um, original vocals and made them her own and adjusted certain lines you just you have to let go a little bit when you give a project to other people to collaborate you kind of have to let go that they're not going to do exactly what you want and if you if you can let go be surprised usually the results are better than you could have imagined
0: well i I think you've done a lot of learning in this record
1: yeah yeah i think so (laughs) big lesson don't don't sit on the record for you know for so long
0: no but that's great i mean because you you've got this behind you now Do do you do you kind of feel that this is this record in a way is a positive step not just from you know the 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 kind of cathartic nature of producing it, but also in terms of what you've learned now going forward, it kind of it kind of sets the the agenda a little bit more. So it makes it a little bit easier next time around. I think I think it helps me understand that it needs the
1: vocals and the it can't be such a final mix that if we're going to have other people sing on this on some of the songs that. I kind of need
0: to bring them into the creative process sooner,
1: right? Um, almost,
0: sure. almost like let's let's have this as a set of chords or something, you know, and then and in a quite rough state, and then actually get them in then and say, how are we building this?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, there's a there's a long song on that probably on the next record that I threw some scratch focus on just as this could work but it's very tentative. I didn't even like to sing it properly. So this is where it's such a raw material that someone else can come in and really change it up and do something different with it. So that's the big lesson is um, if you're gonna have other people sing on it, it's, it's a little easier to accept when people are playing an instrument because you know they're gonna do something very different. I don't tend to write parts for people. I like them producing what they want, but the vocals was very different, very different lesson. Because although I do like playing guitar a lot, it's very central, ultimately I kind of see myself as a vocalist front, you know, primarily, um, because I write the lyrics in the song and an expression of a, of a concept. So letting someone else sing your lyrics is, is very different. Um, and that's been really interesting. Um, other lessons with the records. Well, I think I still struggle with, where does this fit with the rest of my work? And I get different views on that. You know, Shannon who sings on the record, she looked at the last record I did, which is called the moment is gone. And it's, it's, um, I would think it's kind of a different genre, but she said, no, the, the same audience that will like this new record, it's the same one that listens to the old one, it's still got a lot of gothic rock influences in there. So there is a strong overlap. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I fully buy that or if I think it's a different brand per se. Yeah. But I think I mean, all of my favorite musicians, a lot of them, can't, you take someone like David Bowie or Peter Harvey—they're constantly reinventing themselves. Anyway, they're not tied to one identity and one sound, so I probably shouldn't care too much about that. I
0: think, I think even if bands are not necessarily completely re- reinventing their identity, I think what maybe some bands do though is they they react to the previous piece of work. Yeah, they they You don't want to, You don't want to produce the same piece of work again. And actually once you've left a piece of work behind, there will be certain things that you've learned from that piece of work that your ways, even ways of working or themes or whatever that you will have dealt with within that piece. And and the next piece that starts up and comes along will be some kind of reaction to that, that previous piece. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're writing,
1: I think, remember the songwriter, Damien Rice? Yeah. Um, and his first record, everyone was astonished. It was so great. And all these like, you know, troubled love troubadour. And uh, he'd always do this intake of breath uh, signaling how in pain he was. By the third record, you're like, get off the floor. Like, you're you're clearly something that you're doing in these relationships that you're tracking the same type of relationship and having the same type of problem <laughs> right. and learning the same song. So it got a little bit like difficult to listen to him. So yeah, I mean, when I think about records like that, I always want to look at my record to say, Psychologically, psychically, does it show me in the same paralysis or same state, or am I trying to evolve in some way as a human? Um, Because ultimately, you know, yes, the music has to, if you have an established audience that love your thing and you're the cure, you're on tour, all over the place, you have to keep going into that darkness of the 80s, you know, songs that you wrote. But you also need to sort of evolve and change a little bit because otherwise, I guess some musicians, like I think about Metallica, still playing the same songs over and over. There's not a ton yeah. of evolution there. But for me,
0: I don't know. Are... The Cure is a good example. The Cure is a great example. Um, you know, I think, I think along the lines, not only in terms of the sounds that they use, because you know they, they, you know, uh, in the in the sort of late '80s period, they, you know, they tapped into um, more dance sounds, etc. Except, and you know, they took it off in a different direction sonically, but also I think he tapped into another side of he, the darkness. In the way, I think he tapped into his sense of humor in the darkness, so I think he played, started to play more on his humor,
1: right? Yeah, that, yeah,
0: yeah. So, I think, I think, uh, around the sort of time of, um, uh, you know let's go to bed and things like that. There was more playfulness, but it was still quite dark.
1: Yeah. Why can't I be you? The video for Why that. can't
0: I be you? Yeah. He,
1: it's... he said he wanted to do a video that was like five star, that, that uh, mass produced <laughs> band from that is where they're all doing synchronized dance moves so that he made sure they're wearing ridiculous unmatched costumes and tried to do badly synchronized dance moves. So there's <laughs> a, lot of sen- a lot of sense of humor. Exactly. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Humor and but it, and it, it just but there's there was he he dealt with some dark things in terms of relationships, etc., but with some humor in there. And so it, it there was consistency in that it was still about you know being torn up and love, you know, love going wrong and things like that, but just looking at it from a slightly different point of his personality and that's that's great i think you know and that comes over when he speaks you know when you yeah. hear robert smith speak he's quite a funny guy yeah you know i don't think everyone i don't think i don't know that everyone always gets it
1: <laughs> yeah they think that the goths are just like constantly looking down and, and but you know we're actually quite cheerful i mean i don't know if i call myself a goth or say either does robert smith he hates the word um but yeah he's very cheerful he's very funny um certain records are like Disintegration for me. There's not a lot of humor in that record, but for me, no. that's the high watermark of layered production and you know different textures and, and just going right into the depth of the darkness. For me, that's uh, a perfect record.
0: Absolutely, and, and, it, and it can't, but again, it came out of, it had to come out of everything that went before it, which, which went right to the top of something else. Um, Double Helix uh, as, a, as a record, great, great record. I mean, you're going to get a little bit of the comparisons with Cocto Twins in there just because you are. Um, you know, how influential were they to you in terms of sound?
1: I love them, but I haven't listened to nearly enough to be able to claim they're influential. Um, I probably don't know their catalogue as well as I should, but I love everything I've heard from them. I probably only have one album and I've listened to a bunch of other songs. Um, I did love what she did with uh, Massive Attack on Teardrop. It was fantastic. Um So yeah, they're not top of my list. They're they're one of those bands that's on the list for me to go and go back through their catalog at some point. Like they're on the list with Elvis Costello and other bands that you know you should listen to all this stuff. I'm like, well, there's so many albums, so I'll get to them at some
0: point. So I haven't really gotten to them, which is great because. But I think they're they are a good reference point for this as as a single because if you like the Cocktail Twins, you will like this. but it makes sense that it sounds like that as well, really. If you think about who their influences are, yeah, yeah. some of their influences are your influences, and if you think about the vocal, uh, the, the the vocal techniques that uh, you've applied in here, you know, Robin Guthrie was doing that with Liz, so that's that makes sense that there's going to be those connections there. And and then you've produced a great video for it as well. Who did who did that?
1: so um so her instagram handle is hypnodoll that's what she goes by um so yeah, stephanie she's super talented graphic designer and she had done a couple of videos for charlie neiland she did a video for charlie <clears throat> for charlie neiland for the title track of his divisions album and i just saw that and thought this is amazing where did she come up with this footage the idea the concept so i asked her would you want to work on this double helix video and I told her what was in my head. You know, I see multiple people like maybe they're singing the lyrics, but their faces are sort of melting into each other, like one face in the next frame melts to a different, a different face. I'm also seeing like it's red. Um, and this, you know, the skyline is on fire flames burning trees. And it looks a little bit like the video for walking in my shoes from Depeche mode. It's like this volcano in the background. And yeah, I threw yeah. all this into a document and this is what she came back with. I'm like, that's, what was in my head, combined with what you're feeling, and you've taken an added concepts, really special video. So she's finishing off the video for the next song at the moment, and I can't wait to see how, what kind of a job she's done. Oh, I
0: love this. Yeah, your your criteria list for this video. Uh, so I want a bit of, like, godly and cream cry um, with the faces and then uh, a bit of Depeche Mode and a bit of – and she's sitting there going <laughs> – <laughs>
1: she got got excited she was like i love it i love it and then she was coming up with other ideas i'm seeing this and i'm thinking that i'm like fantastic i was saying somebody should like plunge into the water and they're in the water and she's like i've got that covered so yeah yeah, she's just very talented and for the next single um which is a cover version of a Del Rey song it's my vocals on this one uh again i told her here's all the ideas i have and and um she had lots of additions to it i think it's going to look fantastic she's kind of finishing it the single comes out on tuesday hopefully the video will be ready to go and we'll have that up on youtube too you a big lana del rey fan oh huge for me you know you've got chelsea wolf and lana del rey the sort of dark and light of of you know they're kind of to me they're like twin pillars Uh, i'm usually wearing a chelsea wolf t-shirt this is one right now um yeah Lana's a huge influence. Um, I mean, her voice is amazing. It's it's so many blends of American history and, and American music, but it's also, there's something about her personal journey, uh, how she's evolved. And I hear that in the records. A lot of people hear the first record or two and think she's glorifying this fast life, but there's a great jaded tiredness with that life. And it's these are like war stories of uh, life she's trying to move away from. So it, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think as her records have gone on, she sort of found herself a little bit, um, but I wanted to do a cover of hers in a way that would fit this record. And there's a remix of enjoy the silence by Depeche mode. Um, I forget the person who did the remix, but it's heavy on distorted guitars. And yeah, yeah. they just come in like a wall of noise. So I took this to Charlie and I said, I want to do this dark paradise song like this Depeche mode thing where the chorus comes in, it's just a huge wall of distorted guitars hits you. Um, so that's kind of what we came up with and the video I have, um, there's a, a friend of mine who is a, a qualified sword swallower. So it's a pretty terrifying act with like this huge sword. It's very dangerous. You have to be very trained to do it. And I wanted to feature in her in the video, uh, kind of symbolically. So we we have her in there too, Lorena the Thrill, and she's featured in the video too. And, and she just looks so stern and like intense. Um, so it's gonna be visually a really stunning video for this song. I can't wait for it to come out. But it, I'm a little scared because you know, Julie's voice and my voice are very different. And then there's two other female singers on the record, Susan Huang and Shannon Brown. And then there's a couple more songs by me. So, you know, if you really love double helix, well, some of those elements are definitely all across the record, but you get a little nervous, that's just a little just some changes from song to song. So, you know, it, again, here I'm here I am agonizing again.
0: Agonizing still <laughs> over it. Yes, let's not listen. Yeah. listen I, look, I think you're I think you're fine. Okay. I think i I think there's two things to to um, console yourself with here. One is, I think people that really love music and listen to music can open their minds across, you know, not only across genres but across a particular record as well. To go that that's they're here the connected connections. They make those connections. They'll be intelligent enough to make those connections across it, and they will they will, you know they'll be able to listen to it and enjoy the sonic differences that that occur. And, yeah. the, and those that aren't that great at listening because they just, well, they're crap at listening, um, will still enjoy it because they don't listen to music like that anyway. That's part and parcel of today's, you know, listening uh, environment, which is that, you know, those people that listen to albums, Will really deep dive into it as an album. Those people that listen to everything in short, sharp bursts as yeah. it passed through in the ether will probably just hear it as the individual songs and they won't even make those connections between. The, true, that's true.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The, the whole piece. So that's great because years ago, you know, we only had it all lumped together in a physical format.
1: Yeah, and you, you know? had the, the artwork in front of you or the lyrics
0: and you would and have it is, as you listen to it. And this is an album, and you put that album on and you'd go, oh, hang on, track one's like that, but track two's like that. And if you were that kind of listener, you were like, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> nowadays it's yeah. like, you know, it, it will be you evil will sit and you will enjoy the difference and the 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 the, the um, education that you're being provided with through that piece of music, and the, the experience you're being provided with that bit of music, or you, as I say, you will just go. Do you know what Double Helix is for me? That one isn't. But, yeah. but, you know, and and that's fine. That's you know? fine. It's
1: fine. And you have to. There's a lot of letting go that you have to do once it goes out there. You just can't control. It, but I
0: I think I think you have to, my friend. It's part and parcel of the modern modern world. But the great thing is that people forget. It. Those sort of people will have forgotten anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. I, look, I work in social media. I know this stuff. Those those sort of people, you know, they say they say something on social media one day, they've forgotten they've said it by the next day. So, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, but, yeah. I think the people I think the people that will get you get you and want to listen to the album will will just enjoy it uh, and probably find something from it. Out different on it, and every single play of it. So just
1: and hopefully they'll they'll go back and see what other albums are out there. That's yeah, exactly. Like, so I, I just hold
0: like. hold on to that for uh, uh, as you go into into the weekend, right? And it's been pleasure speaking to you today. Where do people get this from?
1: So it's on iTunes, on Spotify, on Bandcamp as well. So all the usual digital outlets, wherever you listen to music, it should be out there. On so the first single's available now. Second single on Tuesday. And then the third single on the album will be in October. So RonanConroy.Bandcamp.com or just search for Ronan Conroy on iTunes and Spotify.
0: And I will remember when the trailer for this goes out next week because there will be a trailer for this, as we always do. Um, you're watching, you're actually watching or listening to the record, full recording of this now, so you may have missed the trailer. Uh, but go back and look for it on my channels because the trailer's the funny bit that comes before the interview. Uh, okay, but when this, when this goes out, <laughs> when this goes out uh will make sure that there's a link to the youtube as well because that is a fantastic video and i think people want to get into that so uh and if you if you actually subscribe to the youtube channel then you'll get to see all of the the, the, the glorious videos as they evolve ronan thanks for joining me today thanks so much for having me really appreciate it cheers bye for now right, Thanks.